Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. I'm Leland Steele. And listener, we do have a guest today with us. Uh, Very excited uh, because we're going to be crossing some new ground for once. Retro Gamer (laughs) Gen (laughs) X. We we like to be self-depreciating here. Uh, But uh, Retro Gamer Gen X, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Definitely. I'm glad to be here. Uh, listened to you guys for a while now. A definitely really cool uh, podcast. Definitely uh, the retrospective is uh, here, most certainly. I, that that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I've been a, a fan of Retro Gamer Gen X's channel for about six months here, and his channel's just starting to grow. It's up and coming. His content's already fantastic. So, listener, please listen to the the plugs at the end and, and uh, give him a look see because like the production value is is already fantastic. But it's a growing community still at that stage where if you leave a comment for the YouTube content creator, he might get back to you. So it's always <laughs> nice for you've got a million subs and too busy but uh yeah i mean i mean first plug uh retro gamer like where where can people find you and your channel uh actually it's on youtube so if you just uh type in retro gamer gen x you'll find me i got tons of content already uh i've been doing this since april um also got twitter and uh, a facebook group too uh that uh, the links are actually on my banner at uh, youtube so definitely check it out Perfect. Yeah, it's it's awesome stuff. And I will personally plug uh, your retrospective that went from the 1970s through the 1990s. Um, I thought that was really good. And, you know, everybody's looking for what what unique pull does this channel have? And something I've commented with you before is how you will intersperse uh, video game commercials from those times into yeah, your content. Yeah. Those are so I thought good. that was awesome. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I actually just did another video um, that was just the commercials. Uh, it was from basically Gen 1 to Gen 6 uh, video game consoles. So uh, essentially from 1972 all the way up to like 2003. And it's just amazing the way the marketing tactics had changed through that whole period of time. Because first they're like, mop, you know, marketing into the uh, newlywed you know, kind of maybe 20s couple and then to more of the adults and then to the kids. And then as we get into the 2000s, how things have really changed, even like the GameCube. <laughs> I mean, they had like gangsters rolling around in a car and stuff. And it's like, really, that was Nintendo, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it definitely changed over the years. So it's kind of cool to see that. And yeah, my videos definitely show that kind of introspective as well. I, I try to add all the history what's inside the consoles as far as all the techie stuff for all the tech guys out there and then also marketing and then kind of give a 360 view of the consoles and all that stuff too so definitely something to look into awesome well let's uh, jump into our banter segment here and uh, my understanding leland is that you have at least something to bring to the table so uh drop it on us uh well i have I have recently acquired a PS5. I think I've had it for like three days. And of course, I've been playing God of War Ragnarok. And it's just so good. It's, it's, it's like so much more of God of War 2018. Everything that was great from that, you just you get more of it with, you know, a, a few extra things thrown in. Uh, I'm not too far into the game, but from what I've played, it's just, it like felt like coming home. <laughs> but there's a bit of redecorating around <laughs> and you're like, okay, I could dig, I could dig this new aesthetic. We got going around here. 
Uh, it's great. It's fucking great. I'm so glad I finally get to play it. Yeah, I, I was going to ask because PS5 has been out for a while now. I know it's very difficult to get. This is actually one of my two banters I had was I was going to ask you, where did you get your PS5? So I got a bundle from, man, I think it was just from Best Buy. Um, it was a, so, but I, I rig- first tried to get a bundle from Walmart and immediately after placing the order, Walmart canceled it. So I don't know what, I guess they were out of stock and maybe it wasn't reflected properly on, on their website. But of course they don't give you a reason why they're canceling your order. It's just like, ah, sorry, your, or your order's toast. So then about, you know, I found a bundle on uh, bestbuy.ca, but it's always like, I, I think all you can find are those bundles. So it was like a bundle with Ragnarok and like an ex- a second controller, which I don't really need the second controller. So like I'm paying the extra, and even though it's bundled, you're still paying what you would if you got them separately, right? Like you're not getting a discount on the bundle. Like it's bullshit, quite frankly. <laughs> so you're still paying an arm and a leg for you know all the separate separate parts of it that you're getting. But uh, you know I got it. Whatever. I I I finally have it, and <laughs> I'm here, and I'm back on the Sony fanboy uh, train here. For a while throughout the generations, I kind of flipped before between PlayStation and Xbox. Uh, usually it was kind of like since the PS2 era, it was always like the next generation I kind of flipped, but that's fine. I don't need an Xbox. Anything I want to play that's an <laughs> Xbox on an Xbox I could play on my PC. So it's like, why would I bother? So, but I'm fucking pumped to have it. It took like seven or eight hours to transfer all my PS4 data to it. <laughs> so that was like the first day of it was the setup. And then I finally had a chance to play over uh, like New Year's Eve and stuff. So. <laughs> Oh, it's just so good. I can't wait to... I've already fought Thor, and Thor is a fucking monster in it. Like, as as much of a beast as Kratos is, Thor is like a, stands like a foot plus taller than him in the game. And he just... Oh, man. He fucked me up with Mjolnir. It's so cool. It's just so dope. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, the PS5 is really hard to find right now. So since you found it, I got to give you props for that one, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere I go, there's empty shelves. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, RGX, do you do any, like, uh, modern gaming? Do you have any modern consoles? Maybe not PS5, but, like, you know, one of those new Xboxes or a Switch, or do you kind of stick with older generations? Honestly, to tell you the truth, it's it's kind of strange to think because I have all these consoles here, but uh, I'm actually more of a PC gamer in the modern age. I don't have a PS4 or a PS5. I just, to me, I can't justify paying that much for a console now that in just a few years is some the next best greatest thing is going to be out there kind of the reason i'm a retro gamer well i'm kind of into that now pc games definitely into um i'm more i I guess because i'm older i'm more into like the simulation games so i don't know if you guys heard of like american truck simulator of course like iRacing other things like that farm simulator yeah it's kind of fun but (laughs) I, I used to find, I don't know if you've ever tried it, Mechanic Simulator, I think 2015, uh, I played that a lot. It's it's very soothing to just yeah. like relax with the techno music and play that sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, there was a game on the old Amiga system called, and I think it was like on the STs and things too, called Hot Rod, where it was kind of the same thing. You would go in and you would fix your cars and go out and race them, that kind of thing. So it was actually kind of you know cool to see that same thing kind of in a a newer video game yeah i got my attention it's on my steam list (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I think they come out with a new mechanic simulator like every year or two at this point. So, yeah, some are hit and miss. I have a few of them. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, RTX, do you have anything you want to discuss in kind of pop culture news? Uh, I did see something pop up this this week in the news uh, about the Atari VCS. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of that system, but uh, it's basically a retro game console they kind of brought back uh, from the old Atari VCS or 2600 type of design where they put basically a, a PC inside of it. And, you know, honestly, I didn't think that the project was going to work out. There was many delays. They did end up releasing it. And um, to a lot, a lot of people's chagrin that it was just not the best system out there, it seemed like. Now, I've seen, I haven't bought one. I haven't seen one with my own hands or my own eyes. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I've seen a lot of these companies kind of come in and buy, like, the name tags of, bigger companies like you know like atari i've seen it with the intellivision and the mika or the miko or whatever they were trying to release uh that just didn't even take off um what else did i see the ColecoVision one a few years ago that was in that jaguar case i don't know if you guys saw that before uh that didn't get released either but all these companies they buy this and then profit off of these these startups and stuff and uh you know, I, I just kind of see that happening. Now, there are legit ones, like kind of like a Retro Gaming uh, Unlimited, I think it is, that makes the C64 and the A500. Uh, those are great products. Um, if you guys have seen those, that's definitely something I'm, I'm into. But as far as like the VCS goes, um, I guess distribution has kind of quit. Uh, they, they've stopped their distribution channels and everything. So I don't know what the future is for that Atari Corporation and whether they're going to continue on. Now, they've had some updates on articles that I've read where they're like, well, we're going to continue distributing and we're going to keep doing this. But once you kind of hear these things from a company and you start seeing those signs, I mean, I think the end is near for it, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's just been interesting in general, the kind of false, I don't know what to call them, like pseudo retro systems movement that's been around the last maybe seven years, started with the NES Classic. And it, it's weird because, you know, I remember when that thing was getting released, it was so hard to get a hold of one. But now, like, I never see them around. I think I know maybe one friend that has one. Nobody talks about them. And yeah, you, you wonder if it's kind of just like a fad or not i i don't know i don't have like a strong opinion on that i just found it it interesting yeah you know i think i, I think atari was the first ones to start that no actually uh, it was commodore with the what was that the, the commodore stick remember that thing i forgot the yes tv the c oh. tv thing or whatever it was god i can't remember yeah. what the name of it is that was the first one i remember and then uh, atari came out with the flashback systems you know, honestly, by the time that the the Nintendo system had came out, to me, it was already kind of played out. I'm like, there's so many other mini systems because they had came out with, I think it was a Coleco one at one point, And then I have one in a box here and a television one <laughs> that I just bought. I've never even opened or ever played with it, but it's there, you know, <laughs> kind of just for <laughs> collector's value of it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> 
you never know. Sometimes these things, they just take off in price and become a, you know, collector's piece. Uh, uh, it's it's hard to, to say where that stuff goes. But yeah, I, I have one banter and it's a little bit of a, a change of pace here. I was watching one of my favorite movie reviewers, Chris Stuckman, on YouTube earlier today, and uh, he did his best films of 2022. And he called 2022 one of the best years for movies ever. And I was like, really, really dude? <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of the movies that he was putting out there, I either haven't seen yet, but most of them I haven't even heard of. And I'm a movie guy, you know, there's just... Seems like there was a lot of art house stuff. I mean, he had Top Gun Maverick as his number one. He had Knives Out, like the Glass House one, or Glass Onion. Glass Onion, yeah. Glass Onion. So some kind of expected choices there. But I was just going to throw to both of you, like, you know, RGX, I don't know if you're much of a movie guy, but would you call 2022 an outstanding year for movies as far as you're concerned? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, I actually just saw Top, uh, Top Gun Maverick, to tell you the truth. And uh, I went into the movie expecting it just to be another sequel. Like, yeah, it's just another sequel. And then I kind of got into it, you know, and Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm she's old. Amazing. She's still hot to me, you know. <laughs> she's hot to me too, man. That's okay. That's okay. She's she's gorgeous. Um, so a little bit of backstory here. Like, I am the biggest Top Gun fan in the world. Uh, it's my number one movie. Leland knows. I went to the premiere of Top Gun Maverick in my Iceman costume that I built years ago. I've got like replica helmet, replica Iceman flight suit, like the whole shebang. And yeah, I, I thought Maverick, Top Gun Maverick was really, really good. It's interesting because Patty Benjamin, Jennifer Connelly's character, is actually mentioned as Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is either current or former girlfriend in the first movie at the very beginning. And so it's cool how they brought her in. And like, I, I thought she was much better than Charlie, the, uh, the love interest in the first movie. It was okay. I just felt Jennifer Connelly and Tom Cruise had much better chemistry. Yeah, I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, Val Kilmer, Iceman's my favorite character. I liked the scene they had with him, which is a bit of a tearjerker, uh, given his situation with the throat cancer. But I also really liked how they subtly used him in the background, like texting Maverick, working to protect him, to, to shoo him into this one final job. And I really thought that was cool because in the first, you know, movie, they're rivals. And now Iceman is basically like his big brother to the, the very end. It was, for me, it was perfect. Uh, Leland, what did you think about movies in 2022? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I think there are, I wonder, how, so what, in his list, like what percentage uh like how was the breakdown of like genres because like 2022 was a banger year for the horror genre 100 percent, like the best year since like 2017 or so so i don't know if that i mean that's how does that apply to other t genres of film i don't know but i saw a lot of really great horror films that came out in 2022 so it's like i think it depends what lane you're in now i, I assume that stuckman I mean, one, the guy sees millions of movies a year, right? Like, and he has a much larger overview than like the type of uh, experience that I have with the 2022 releases. So I would say, I would say that 22 was a, was a pretty good year from the movies that I, that I watched, but 
I am also becoming more and more selective of the movies that I go out and see. So I'm already filtering what I what appeals the most to me and the the movies that on the you know surface level that I think I would enjoy. And some of those, you know, some of my own like personal recommendations of myself or, or things that draw me are going to be hit or miss too, but they're going to be more hits than not because of that like self filtering that I've just kind of grown accustomed to now consuming less media, but going for quality over quantity, not the other way around. Like we mentioned in our year end episode, like in our twenties and stuff, we would see like everything and it was incredibly it was qualitative or quantitative far more than quality uh right was our consuming habit i think so that also differs and i and i think just from the nature of stuckman's channel obviously he has to consume like everything and now i would honestly be curious about like the percentage of because like yes he's going to cover a lot of films but how many more films is he watching that he doesn't do a video for right like it's got to be, it's got to be a, a, a ton, and he's gonna have his own filtering system too. So it's a different perspective. But for me, I mean, I I enjoyed everything I saw in twenty twenty two, and I don't think there again off the top of my head, I don't think there was a movie that I watched that I thought was complete shit. Uh, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that. Maybe I shouldn't be. I I know you and Ghost Marty were really uh, disappointed with Thor Ragnarok. Um, but maybe it's just not complete shit in your mind. Um, God, um, uh, Love and Thunder, Thor, Love and Thunder. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I mixed got, it up. Got a war on the mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it wasn't complete garbage. It was just mediocre. Okay. I think, right? Um, a sequel to, like, Ragnarok is a phenomenal movie. And Love and Thunder just did not meet up, Rag, did not meet Ragnarok's expectations that were set. So it's more of a disappointment because of that. Also, like, there's lots of aspects of Love and Thunder that are are really cool. I think I think Christian Bale is great in Love and Thunder. Uh, for the, I mean, he doesn't have, honestly, it, it, he doesn't amount to having too much screen time, really. Uh, the third act of it of Love and Thunder is really messy. There's a lot of like back and forth between the heroes, like going to fight Gore, uh, the God Butcher, and then leaving that fight and then going back to fight him again, like 10 minutes later, like it's, it's messy. And yeah, the pacing of it's weird. I don't know, but I don't think it's complete shit is what I'm getting at. Okay. But do you think one bad, one bad egg spoiling the bunch? Like, is that what it is for you? Is that what it feels like for you? No, it was more you saying that you hadn't seen anything that was absolute shit. And it was a Mm. legitimate question, not a rhetorical question. What you thought of Thor love and thunder. So I was like legitimately questioning your thoughts on that. And to answer your question about what Stuckman said about other films or or what he said about his films in his top 10, plus he had three honorable mentions. The only one of the, he had an honorable mention, I think it was Smile. That one with like the really creepy yeah, yeah. Victorian smile. I've never seen it. He had that as an honorable mention, but I think he relied too much on small release indie dramas again answer your question there's like seven on his list that would be movies i've never heard of though he did have that movie i wanted to see with colin farrell and uh brendan gleason banshees of inniskillen i think it's called which 
it's basically you take these two great actors, these two great Irish actors, and it's a drama about a friendship breaking up. Like, I just think that that's an area of, I don't know, male social behavior that's never covered. Like, I I actually had a, a friendship with one of my best friends for 20 years fall apart this year. And it's interesting to, you know, to see a movie and I've got it on my watch it soon list on Netflix to to watch that Banshees of Inniskillen and see, you know, what what it's like, a movie based solely around a friendship breaking up. Is the way that reviewers and just the general populace starting to view the movie industry shifting into because are, are people getting tired of the big blockbusters, you know, superhero fatigue, etc. All these, you know, movies that cost and and break in like a billion dollars. We're just getting tired of that, and we want to see more of these these indie drama type films be highlighted. Which I think that's great that Stuckman is highlighting this kind of stuff. But like, so in the blockbuster aspect, was the 2022 week in that regard, meaning it's giving more space for those types of films that he is highlighting. Whereas if if the 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 other side of the industry was a little more strong uh, coming out in 2022, would many of those films have made his list? You know, like it's just is it just a matter of competition in 2022? And yeah, like these movies are, are there's space for them to get the highlight uh, from these phenomenal movies that otherwise would go unrecognized. You know, hence them living and remaining in the indie film space. You know, is that just the kind of the shift maybe in the industry that's happening for consumers? Uh, I don't actually have an answer to those questions, but I think that is, a, you know, that's a good set of questions to ask. Um, I think there could be some validi- validity to that, uh, to be honest, because, well, not only is there a shift from Blockbuster, but several of the movies that Stuckman named, I know, went straight to streaming. And I yeah. mean, that's an evolution of the movie industry that seems to be continuing. I'll be, it'll be interesting to see where, where things go in 2023. You know, do we have this rebound in theaters with a number of blockbusters coming out? Do things continue down this straight-to-streaming drama path? So, yeah, I, I just thought that comment from, from Chris Stuckman was a little grandiose <laughs> for how I initially... I mean, yeah, it, it, seems, it does seem quite hyperbolic, doesn't it? <laughs> But maybe if you go and you watch his top 10 list, you know, over the course of like maybe a month, you consume these his top 10 lists and maybe your tune would 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 change. I don't know. Especially if they're films that you've never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. I am going to look into the movies, specifically the ones I haven't seen and see where can I see them? Like, are they easily available? So, yeah, I, uh, I I'm interested, but. Who knows? Maybe I could be talking to you in three months having watched all these films and be like, yeah, this was a banger of a year for dramas. <laughs> you know? He was totally right. What What's that uh, saying from Dumb and Dumber? And totally you redeemed totally redeemed yourself. yourself yeah. <laughs> so I thought you couldn't get any dumber. <laughs> you go and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> so what is the best year of movies, do you guys think? Ooh, oh, that's a good Jesus. question. Probably uh, 1997. Yeah, I was going to go with 96, but it might be 97 because 96, you had Independence Day. You had Air Force One, which was my favorite movie for several years. You had a bunch of disaster movies. 
I think you had Lost World, Jurassic Park, but don't quote me on that. The 90s were just an awesome time for entertaining movies. Absolutely. I gotta be honest. The late 90s were really strong for for films, too. Films and TV, honestly. A lot of what I was consuming at the time, and like we'll get to it in our second segment, but like the late, like most of my favorites from that time period are like mid to late 90s. And the majority, a lot of them like ran into the early 2000s in in the scope of their run of some of these uh, series. But it was, yeah, man, it was a great great decade for sure gotcha I, I would have to say 86 you had top gun crocodile dundee pollute uh, uh platoon god what karate kid nice. i think came out karate kid 2 ferris bueller transformers the movie yeah. <laughs> yes yes oh man that is so right ferris bueller and transformers the movie oh you're convincing me, Retro Gamer Gen X. I, I was 10 years too late, like minus 10 years, and I nailed the decade. That's awesome. Well, speaking of segments, I guess it should be time to roll into our uh, first segment there, eh, Leland? Yes. Uh, let's go to the video game variety show, where we just want to we want to hear about our guest channel and uh, maybe give us a more in-depth overview of it, you know, in addition to what you kind of let off in the beginning of it. So tell us what exactly, like, what is your channel's focus and what, what, like, do you have a goal that you had in mind when you set out to, to create your channel? Um, well, actually, my channel started a long time ago. It was like back in 2007 as Linux fan man and it started out as uh, basically a how-to showing people how to play basically like PC games on Linux PCs uh, using wine and other things like that I did a probably two or three videos like that just kind of how-to videos and then I started getting mixed up with the retro gaming community on YouTube at the time and a few different YouTubers, uh, selfless plugs here, um, MM12Bird uh, and Rob Maximum R&D are a couple people that have been on YouTube forever. Uh, Rob really doesn't do too many YouTube videos anymore, uh, but MM12Bird does. And they're basically the ones that kind of got me into this retro gaming thing because uh, I had started collecting. And I got this huge collection and everything, and I had these arcade machines, and... I was working at HP at the time, got laid off, and that was right during the recession. And literally, we had to sell everything. Uh, The house, the game systems, everything. And it took a few years, and we built ourselves back up again. Um, I'm no longer in the IT sector. I actually work for a school district now. But uh, I started the channel back up as Linux Fan Man, and uh, it started gaining, gaining some traction again with the retro gaming community. Uh, and at that point I decided to go ahead and rebrand and that's where my channel kind of took a different direction um, is where I was going so now instead of just doing like the history things uh, a lot of my subscribers like like the gaming videos like the let's game videos a lot of different things like the commercial segments like I did that commercial video uh, just this weekend that dropped and just a few other things that I'm planning on doing. A lot of repair segments uh, because these old game consoles and computers, they break down. And uh, it's nice to know how to repair them or have videos out there to show you how to repair them. Because there are certain things out there that I've seen a million things of on YouTube. But then like that certain thing that you're trying to fix, like a RAM chip, you can't figure out why the hell the computer's not restarting or something, you know. 
and nobody has that video out there and you're like well shit maybe i should put that video out there you know so people can see it and that's basically what it's more for is just for the education just showing people gaming history and the people that were behind all these different consoles and computers and who developed them and all that kind of stuff and that's kind of where i'm you know where i'm heading in this channel just showing the history so i feel like a like a video game history teacher you know that type of thing <laughs> and uh you know and uh also like showing people how to fix things plus the gaming videos honestly with the gaming videos i really didn't want to do those because in my mind gaming videos on youtube are kind of played out i mean how many contra videos are there out there how many you know super mario brothers yeah you know so they don't garner too many hits but the few subscribers that i do have that love those videos they just love them and you know honestly youtube is kind of a mix of different things uh, of course, you want to try to make your money off of monetization, but you want to keep that niche of your subscribers there because a lot of my subscribers just like the history and that kind of stuff. That's why they kind of subscribe to me. But 10% of my subscribers, they like the, the gaming videos. So well, I got to keep that niche happy too. And 5% of them like the repair ones. So <laughs> it just kind of depends on, you know, what I'm hearing through the comments and social media, what people want to do and or what they want to see basically is what I kind of put out there. But that's pretty much the main things is just like the history of things, repair videos, and then some gaming videos. And then also there's, there's some arcades that I've found locally. Well, not really locally, <laughs> other cities around me. Uh, I'll probably be touring those and doing a few videos of those too, uh, talking to the owners and things like that. Um, also, I kind of want to start to get into like trying to get a hold of these developers and programmers from back in the past but trying to find these people and trying to get interviews with them sometimes are really really hard to do um one person specifically wanted seventy five thousand dollars for an interview Whoa. i was like wow <laughs> wow what was this I, sorry you don't have to say this person's name but was this person like even really famous in the past or was this uh, they're very famous yeah very famous in the, okay. the retro computing uh let's just say it has to deal with a certain fruit but uh definitely he's definitely making money off his, his publicity i'll tell you that <laughs> yeah you know it's i wonder sometimes why people put up that cost barrier Leland and I haven't ran into that yet. Mind you, our mindset with guest hosts is to give people like yourself that are up and coming a platform to discuss and, and have fun before fame corrupts. You know, I think I take a look at that and I, I think about, you know, that, that fruit person, you know, is it not fun to look back with somebody that just wants to interview you for, uh, well, I, I would say shits and giggles, but really just because it's fun and, and to look back, like I really enjoy talking about the stuff. Leland and I don't make any money off it, but we just enjoy diving into this type of content. And it, I don't know, it's just disappointing that someone would put up a paywall like that, you know? Right. Yeah. And it happens, you know, honestly, I've seen uh, a few different other people, not that much money, but you know, some people want 10, five ten thousand dollars for an interview and it's 
people that you don't really even know or even really heard of. And it's like, so you still want me to pay you 10 grand? You haven't made a game since 1983, man. <laughs> you know? It's mm-hmm. like, really? <laughs> Have you, <laughs> yeah, it's like 30 years and they're still banking on that quite literally. Um, have you tried to ask other YouTubers that maybe are in, involved in, uh, you know, gaming, retro gaming, former developers that do YouTube that might be more sympathetic? Yeah, I've actually thought about doing that. I haven't reached out to too many YouTubers yet, uh, but there are some of maybe the bigger guys that I've been thinking about kind of reaching out to on the, maybe those social platforms or emails and stuff like that it's one of those things where well are they really going to listen to a small channel you know these guys have hundreds of thousands maybe even millions of subscribers and here's little retro gamer gen x coming up you know hey you know will they listen well maybe they will maybe they won't so uh, that might be something that i might try in fact i might try to do that that's a good idea actually well, there was this. There was one guy I subscribed to that I thought might be a good fit for your channel. If you were doing that, I don't know if you've heard of his channel. It's uh, I think it's called Modern Vintage Gamer. He's Australian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he's a developer now, or I don't know how long he's been a developer. But what he does is take retro games and sets them up to work on like the Nintendo Switch or other, or the PC or other modern platforms. And uh, I just found his work very interesting. He's got some rare games uh, now updated for modern platforms. I believe he's just starting on Duke Nukem 3D. So just throwing that out there. But we like to uh, cross-pollinate, for the lack of a better term. So if I know anyone who would be willing for free to uh, do an interview with you, might be in your wheelhouse, I'll, I'll toss him your way or ask you if you might be interested first. So. Yeah, absolutely. So what I wanted to ask you about one question of my own is you did mention the history videos. Um, As far as viewership metrics go, you got some videos that have some pretty good view counts for a new channel. I mean, you're a look at in television, a look at ColecoVision. Those are both 25,000 plus views. I mean, that's that's not bad for starting out. Yeah, and it, it those two videos were the two that actually kind of put me on the map because before then, I literally had under 100 subscribers. And um, it was just funny. It was like I put out the ColecoVision video and had sat out there for probably, I don't know what it was, maybe two weeks or so. It maybe got 150, 200 views, something like that. And then I launched that Intellivision video, and within the first three days, I mean, it had... I think three or 4,000 views. And to me, I was just going crazy. I was like, wow, is this going viral or what? And then before <laughs> long, the ColecoVision one kind of went along with it. And they just kind of both took off at the same time. Honestly, I don't know what caused that magic or that chemistry. I don't know if people just like those videos or if it got spread on social media. Uh, according to my analytics, it's actually showing that it was suggested mainly from YouTube. So like the algorithm was actually doing its job, <laughs> which is kind of a tough thing for YouTubers because uh, a lot of the times the algorithm works against you instead of for you, it seems like. But uh, recently... Um, my viewership after because what happened after that i got monetized and after i got monetized surprisingly my views just tumbled down and i was getting from 8500 views a day i was getting at the, my most 
I was maybe getting 50 views a day. <laughs> and then um, wow, with the release of these last two videos I did, my viewership starting to go up and my subs are going up again. So it's just one of those things. It's the YouTube cycles. Plus, it's a seasonal thing, too. I've talked to a few other YouTubers that... Um, have said that uh, during this time of year, Christmas, unless you're like doing like Christmas list stuff or, you know, Christmassy stuff, you know, or showing product reviews, stuff like that. That's what gets a lot of hits this time of year. Um, but it's funny, I have definitely seen seasonal changes come and go even since I've been on YouTube since April. It's just kind of funny how you see the waves come and go. It's interesting. I mean, are you looking at... Uh... If you could, like, would you consider this as a full-time career in leaving your day job or would you prefer to kind of do both or? Absolutely. I would uh, do that. But, you know, in reality, the reality speaks, you know, you got to have that day job to be able to support, you know, living and everything. But if YouTube were to take off, you know, honestly, if it were to make me as much as I am now or more, yeah, I would definitely. Now, Seeing that I do work for a school district and I do work for kids, um, would I leave that entirely? Probably not, because I'm part of that district. I'm part of that community now. So I might end up uh, going to school board meetings, uh, becoming a member of the school board, maybe donating if I you know, became PewDiePie or something, donating money to the school district, <laughs> you know, something along those lines. So, But like I would, I've always told my subscribers, honestly, the money, because I never planned on this being a big venture where I was going to be a YouTuber and live off of it. But the money that I did bring into this would be going to the channel itself. So if I got a hundred bucks, well, there's a hundred bucks towards getting, I don't know, some kind of Atari or something, you know, something I can show on the channel and just share with other people. That's what I'm kind of working towards now is just trying to build the channel up. Uh, there's some, uh, vid like a video capture device, mine completely just died on me. So now I can't capture video from these video game systems. So now what I have to do is do emulation, which I think sucks because you're not showing the original games with the original ROMs and all that. And that's the whole purpose. But, um, so that's the, that's kind of the thing that that money would go towards is, you know, buying that kind of stuff or new systems, you know, that kind of thing. So. It's interesting. I've had a few discussions with YouTubers that are starting out. I mean, we've met a few through this show. There's a few we haven't had on the show that I've just become fans of. And my hope is that you don't lose your proverbial soul. There's a story I talk about. There's a YouTube channel. It uses a British host. His name's Simon Whistler. And the channel now has about like 12 different channels. There's like one called, I think, Mega Structures. Uh, side projects whatever but it's all about him and like five producers tickling the youtube algorithms for every last cent they're worth and i remember I'm, because i'm big into naval history they did a naval history video about a year and a half ago and i watched it and i thought it was okay but they they pinned a comment they replied to their own video really angry saying you guys didn't watch this video. You're taking our metrics. You're taking food off our family's tables. We're not going to do anything naval history anymore. And I was so offended by that that I made a comment there. I'm like, how dare you bite the hand that's feeding you for most of your videos? And I said, like, is there any part of this for your team that does this for fun? For like the pure pleasure of putting out content you enjoy 
to fans, like to, to roast your fans and say, we're not going to give you this whole segment of content because you didn't watch it enough. I was like, holy smokes, like talk about, you know, selling your soul for a few dollars. That just that story just sticks out. It's crazy. And it's like I said, like my Let's Game videos, I literally some of them I get like 50 views off of. And um, will I still continue to do them? Yeah, because I enjoy them. Honestly, that's the easiest video to do. I hop on my computer, get an emulator going. I already got the templates and everything ready. So I just record the video, record my voice, pop them into the video editor, and I'm done, you know, as compared to like a, a, a look at video where, God, some of those take 40, 50, 60 hours to complete, you know, just all the research and all the video editing and just all the stuff that go into those videos. Yeah, I, I bet. I was going to ask you, too, how long did that uh, video of yours, the 1970s, like, through 1990s uh, retrospective, did, did that one take you a long time? Uh, that one, not so much, because uh, what that was was a compilation of all the history sections from the look at videos that I did throughout the entire year. But if we put that in purchase, you know, perspective of each video, God, we're talking probably well over 100 hours, I would say, or more of just research and scripting and video editing and all that. So, but that actual video only took me maybe a couple hours just to throw together, just mashing all those videos together into one. It, it came off as pretty smooth. Like I couldn't tell that it was kind of a chop and put together job there. So uh, kudos to that. Um, Leland, I mean, I've got some more questions, but it kind of goes more on to uh, RGX's personal experience with uh, retro games. Um, do you have any questions for him still on his channel or technical aspects? Um, I don't think so. No, I, I, I agree that the, the compilation video was great. I watched it this morning, actually. And uh, I do, I, yeah, you do an incredible job of, of, of finding, the, of doing your research. Like, it, it clearly comes across. And it, I, I do, like you kind of mentioned earlier, like, pointing out, you, you point out the people involved. So it's really cool seeing, like, seeing the actual people behind some of these innovations and, and some of these ideas. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree that the research comes through and the quality of your videos certainly comes through. From, for my, so my getting to the, the experience with the retro games, like my, I think the first console I ever played as a kid was, like, an NES. And... It was like I had it like at my dad's, you know, for my, my divorced parents. So like I would play it like every second weekend, you know, like that kind of thing. And then really I didn't uh, start getting getting heavy into the games until like the PS1 and more so the PS2, right? So like I don't have too much – I honestly don't have too much experience, if if any, with, with some of these older like retro consoles like, you know, the Ataris and the, the Coleco stuff. And I, I think I played – an SNES like a handful of times too, you know, like the, there's still like these huge gaps until you get, I guess, what you would maybe call like the modern era of of consoles, you know. So it's cool, like, and, and part of that, what I really also liked about that retrospective was like, you get an insight into those console wars, right? And it's just so it's so cool piecing all of the info together uh, in your compilation and then thinking about it in perspective of like the the current like the last 15 years of console wars kind of thing right uh i don't know it's just really cool seeing seeing things take off and then dip you know during the crash and then 
start to take off again with with uh, different ideas and you know the the viral like the guerrilla marketing it almost feels like like the uh like sega does what nintendo don't slogan like that kind of stuff you know it's so good it's just so good oh absolutely yeah just the history behind everything uh just seeing like for instance uh, a lot of people didn't know that how sony and playstation got their start was being an add-on for the snes a cd mm-hmm. add-on for that system yeah yeah uh, a lot of people pointed that out to me they're like man i didn't even know that i'm like yeah just just think if that deal would have went through there might not have even been a, a you know a playstation nowadays so just kind of crazy to think how you know the pseudo retro gaming world would have been <laughs> yeah that was a huge moment in um you know i think your video did a good job of showing how Nintendo kind of screwed Sony over, like embarrassed them, right? They were about to have that announcement and right. suddenly it's cut off. And so, yeah, you know, it's uh, Nintendo. Obviously, Nintendo didn't sow the seeds of their own destruction, but they certainly sowed the seeds of their top competition for a couple decades, which is <laughs> is arguably almost as bad. But um you know, RGX, when, what are, as Leland mentioned with, with his NES at his dad's, what are your first memories uh, playing video games or console or PC? Oh, God. So I'm old, guys. So uh, way back in the 70s with the shag carpet and bell bottoms, I was just a little <laughs> youngin', but I remember being about three or, you know, three or four years old. I don't really remember, remember, but I got pictures of it and certain things I remember. I remember playing the Pong console on a black and white TV downstairs in my mom and dad's uh, basement. But probably one of the most special days I remember is in 1979. I even made a video about this, too, on YouTube. Uh, celebrating the Atari 2600. I made a little rap video about it. It's silly, but <laughs> something that I just wanted to do. But um, in 1979, Christmas Eve, you know, uh, mom and dad took a picture of me playing Pong downstairs because they knew the next day I was getting the 2600 or the VCS is what it was called back then. And oh my God, just, just those memories from that day, just, uh, you know, combat and space invaders and just all the great games we were playing that was from the arcade, but now I'm playing it in my house. I'm like, wow, this is just amazing. You know, even though of course we look at the graphics nowadays and we're like, well, this is crap, you know, <laughs> but yeah. back then, I mean, it was, that was cutting edge, you know, and, uh, loved every bit of it. Uh, but yeah, just just all that and working into like say the Nintendo time um, as well and how Nintendo changed the landscape for gaming because really with the video game crash, it could have all came to an end at that point. But Nintendo's basically the company that brought it back from the ashes, the Phoenix per se, you know? Yeah, I uh, actually that's one of the questions I had for you was obviously you remember a little bit the 1983 crash it, you as a gamer at the time, did it really have an effect? Because it was only a couple of years. Like, did you just buy a few less video games or buy a few more at a flea market? Or did you experience much of a change during that crash? Um, I would honestly say, me as being a kid, I didn't really realize what was going on until my parents kind of gave me insight. Because, uh, like, I had asked for the 5200 I'd asked for a couple different gaming systems back then, like the Vectrix, I remember. 
And they're like, oh, we're not going to buy those because all these companies are going to go out of business. Haven't you read the news and all this? And then I remember going <laughs> into stores and seeing Atari games that were like $50 for like literally like $10 on the shelf. And I was like, mom, get me an Atari. And since we had an Atari, she was, you know, buying them left and right for us. But that's kind of what I remember. And uh, honestly, I kind of forgot all about it until later on, you know, like in the 90s when I started getting back into kind of the retro gaming thing and started, you know, going to forums. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember. So that's what it, it was, the video game crash, you know, and that was before it kind of became this popular thing that everybody knows of nowadays. It was kind of funny to think back and how I saw it. And really, the only thing I remember is just how cheap everything was. Consoles were cheap. Everything was cheap. And then when the Nintendo came out for the price that it came out at, my parents just about shit a brick because I wanted it. And they were like, ah, <laughs> this is way more expensive. But then when my dad, I get, I don't know if it was my dad or my mom, and they saw the graphics on either the Nintendo or the, uh, the Sega Master System at the time, they were like, yeah, this is totally different than what you guys used to have. So they ended up buying us one for Christmas. So definitely cool times. Yeah. It's interesting how you're talking about your parents. You know, they saw the good graphics and they're like, let's, let's actually get him this. I mean, my parents weren't against video games, but they were so clueless with them that I had to like adapt as a kid. There's this family story I keep bringing up every couple of years with the family, which is my brother and I had a Game Gear and we asked for Sonic for Game Gear. Well, what does my dad get us for Christmas? Like Sonic 2 for the Sega Genesis. And I remember cracking open the case of course you've got this big sega genesis cartridge taking the game gear that was almost the same size and i was like dad click 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 and he's like <laughs> i don't know it's sega it's sega aren't they all the same why are there two segas there's too many segas as that's the parents i had to deal with so i remember like writing letters to santa claus being like dear santa please get me this game on the second shelf at zeller's third from the left because <laughs> Santa wouldn't know what video game to make otherwise. It was uh it was it was pretty hilarious. I don't know if you ran into this because I don't think Leland did either, but um in my family I had a mom that was quite a conservative Christian and she had some rules involving violence in video games that were pretty strict. Um, did you face any of that or did you actually have chill parents? <laughs> uh my parents were actually pretty cool about that kind of thing. Honestly, I was already in high school by the time that the video game ratings thing even happened. So I was already playing Mortal Kombat and stuff in the arcades. And I was already, I had already had a pile of Playboys under my bed, you know, so my parents didn't care. They were like, whatever, you know. Um, now, if I would have probably been like an eight-year-old and I'm sitting there playing Mortal Kombat, taking somebody's spine out of their body or something, eh, maybe so. But uh, by that time, they didn't really care, you know, honestly, but. The video game ratings thing, that's that's a whole nother topic there. Uh, Sega started that. <laughs> or they finished it, I should say. <laughs> it's surreal. I've seen some footage. I think it was Senator Joe Lieberman. I've seen some old footage of him. You know, I I think it might have been Mortal Kombat that he's like an act, at an actual Senate hearing holding up this video game about how evil it is and kids will be violent. And, you know, unfortunately, I think my dad was actually pretty chill, but I think my mom saw that stuff as well and was, was horrified. And, you know, I remember like my ultimate retro now video game memory was, it was a birthday party in 1997, GoldenEye for the N64. 
I found out it had paintball mode. My mom was always against killing other humans. And I remember on the phone at my friend's house begging her to let us play if I could, you know, if we had paintball mode on all the time. And eventually she relented after like 10 minutes. And it was like the biggest best moment ever it's funny because you talk about you know as a kid playing with pong and you're like this is the best thing ever and for me it was like golden eye in 1997 with a flat of coca-cola and three of my friends it's like life will never improve no matter what happens <laughs> from this point that that's what you thought as a kid exactly um, and now i now i have leland to think i, I actually still have golden eye still play it but my copy of golden eye i never bought leland gave it to me along with a lot of other games actually just your memories, you probably, teenager, young adult at the time, uh, RGX, uh, Sega versus Nintendo. Leland brought up the whole Sega does what Nintendo don't thing, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog with his attitude. What are some of your memories uh, of that, that kind of battle? So that time, basically, I remember, let's see, how old was I? So it was 1985, so it's just about 10, 11 years old, somewhere around there. But I remember the whole Sega Master System, Super Nintendo, or Nintendo. Everybody wanted the Nintendo. Everybody, just because of the games and the licensing, all the different really good games that they had on it. And then you had the Sega Master System, which was a little bit cheaper. But nobody really wanted it because it didn't have those <laughs> top quality type of games now once it got distributed in europe and those game developers got a hold of it and it just kind of took off over there but here in the states really the master system wasn't that great of a system so i remember for christmas my we always kind of knew what we were getting for christmas at first before christmas came and my mom's like yeah she kind of showed me the box and it was the sake of master system and i was like oh. i was like but i wanted a nintendo but it was like really hard to find a Nintendo at the time because they were sold out, you know. And she did end up finding one. Who knows how much she ended up spending on it. But uh, uh, she took back the, the Sega and then I got the Nintendo. Now, years later, I kind of maybe regret that. But then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, the Nintendo was awesome, you know. <laughs> but um, then uh, once it got into like the 16-bit era uh, with the Genesis and the Super Nintendo um, I, w I was a Sega fanboy at that point, um, no, no doubting that. It's, it was, I, I don't know if it was just perceived as more of the mature game system back then, where more of the, the teenage audience, while the, you know, the kids played the Nintendo or what. Because um, honestly, the games and the Super Nintendo aren't all that bad. You know, they really weren't. I think it was just that whole, the Mario and, you know, that type of thing that was kind of bringing them down at that point because Gen X, the, the, the generation that grew up with video games, was now starting to get older and more mature. And so Sega kind of, their marketing just took off at that point. And uh, a lot of people, pretty much all my friends had Segas and nobody really had a Super Nintendo. I had both because my parents were cool like that. But really, I played the Sega way more. Really, the Super Nintendo, I only played like Madden on, maybe like the, the exclusives, Pilot Wings, Mario World, that type of thing. And that's about it. Everything else was on the Sega. Yeah, I remember uh, my best friend growing up at the time. His name's Aaron Hempler. We've actually had him on the show because he's a uh, digital effects animator nowadays. But um, he was kind of always the cool kid growing up. And I remember when he got a Sega Genesis, 
and I went over to his place and I was, I had a Super Nintendo, kind of like Leland. It was kept at her grandparents. So I could play it there every second weekend, pretty much when we visited. But I remember Aaron was like, what? Nintendo? Like just little, little turtle things walking around and a plumber. And he's like, oh no, look at this. Boots up Sonic the Hedgehog 1. You've got this cool Sonic waving his finger. My friend actually did the finger wave. <laughs> he's like, really? You don't prefer this? And I was like, as a kid, I mean, you know, kid psychology, you're like, yeah, actually, I do wish I had that. So it's <laughs> kind of my Sega versus Nintendo moment. And I remember he had Golden Axe, and that was a co-op beat-em-up. And, oh, we just poured so many hours into Golden Axe. It was so much fun. But, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's interesting because Sega specifically created the Sonic the Hedgehog to compete with Mario. And they pretty much succeeded. Like, Sonic is still a big-name character nowadays. Just the irony is Sega's almost a second-party developer to Nintendo. And Sonic always kicks around the Nintendo systems these days. But he's still all in. The Smash Brothers and the Mario and Sonic go to the Olympics where they're always paired up. So I, I think it's pretty cool how that actually lasted, like, three decades. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you brought up a, a good fact there with Sonic because um, really what happened with the Genesis is they uh, started started marketing it with Alex the Kid. And it just did not take off here in America. So they had to find another suitable character. And that's when they came up with Sonic. And it kind of just displayed the speed of the system and the graphic capabilities of the system. And like I said, just with the marketing, it just really took off. You know, this, I guess, semi-leads into my final question here because I, I mentioned the two characters still competing to these day, you know, to this day on modern systems. I, I was going to ask you, and I brought up my GoldenEye story about how, you know, a flat of Coke and, and local video gaming with a bunch of controllers was like the be-all, end-all. I mean, in your opinion, RGX, like, have we lost something nowadays with all this online gaming where... Sure, we have headsets, but we're alone in our own houses. Like, is there something to be missed having four players on a split screen? Or am I being too nostalgic here? Um, honestly, I, 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 I am definitely a person that is not into kind of this modern... And it's not the, the multiple players or anything like that. But what I think has killed the video game industry at this point for me is all the DLCs. Back in the day, you know, you'd buy Madden, and you had Madden. You know, it was $65, you had a copy of Madden, that was it. Nowadays, like my son, he bought a copy of Madden, it was, I don't know what it was, like $75, $80 now, and he's spent over $400 in DLCs on this game. And Ooh. same with me, with like iRacing, same thing. Uh, with iRacing, sure, it's 15 bucks a month for your, you know, subscription, but then... You got to buy your cars. You got to buy your tracks. You know, if you want to get that license level up further and further and further, you got to buy these things. And before long, I put three, four hundred dollars into iRacing, and then my wife put the brakes on that. She's like, "Nope, can't do that." You know? <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things. I kind of miss that when you when you buy a game, you own that game. You know, and with this digital content thing, it's it really kills me to think. Okay. Well, what happens when the PlayStation Store or whatever, Xbox, 
doesn't support these games anymore. Did they just turn them off? You can't play them no more. So this basically this game console becomes a brick, you know. So you spent all this money, all these yep. thousands of dollars on this stuff, and now you can't even play with it, <laughs> you know. It, it's kind of one of those things. That's how I kind of feel. If we kind of went back to, okay, if you buy a game, a game is a game. But I can understand where the game developers are coming from because it's a cash cow. I mean, people are going to buy the downloaded content. So it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't type situations. Yeah, I think it's unfortunate because as much as developers often try to kibosh what I'm about to say, I do think a lot of this DLC is pay to win, especially when it's competitive games. I mean, I have certain games I could list several where I put some money into DLC and the vehicle that I bought is objectively better than most of what's going to be out there. And maybe it was cool at first to kind of steamroll in a bunch of games, but then all of a sudden it wasn't. After a few games, the novelty had worn off and also the realization that I'm probably not as skilled as I thought I was. I just have a better, well, in the case I'm thinking about ship for the game World of Warships on the PC. You know, there are a few ships in particular I have that are very rare, but also very good. And so it's just, it's not fun anymore. Like TLC used to be you found the cheat code or you 100% in the game and unlocked everything. There's your, for the lack of a better term, DLC, your expanded content. And, uh, you know, even going back to Goldeneye, I was like, unless you're playing odd job, like the guy was half the size of the other characters and you had to aim down to shoot him. Everything was pretty equal and it was kind of skill-based. So yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think we've lost that. I mean, I also think to my brother, he's got a Discord channel that I'm part of that he has a ton of friends. My brother used to be a semi-professional gamer and like they're hanging out on this thing, streaming every day, pretty much. It's cool. There's good energy in there, but I'm like, you guys are never actually hanging out and over half of you are local. You're within an hour's driving distance. Like, don't you guys ever want to like go to a bar or something and, you know, get some food together? It's like all they do is just hang out on Discord and and play uh, games together sometimes. So I don't know. I just think we've lost a little bit, both in what you're saying with DLC. Yeah, I think a lot of people hate it, especially how certain companies like EA use it. But I think we've also lost just the fun of having some people together in person. I've got this really cool homebrew version of Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo 64. I bought it off Etsy. I love it. It adds like 70 stages, 30 new characters. Somehow, I don't know how they did it, has the original narrator from the 90, 1998 game speaking all the new characters' names and new uh, places to fight, new levels. And I had my friend Ben over to play it. And I had only played my half-brother a couple times before. And just having like my old buddy and playing through an hour of that was like so satisfying in person. I got to be honest with like a, a scotch. Each of us had a scotch. It was just, it was an amazing little night. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's definitely another thing, like you said, that's kind of lost in the whole situation is that um, just having that, that kind of buddy next to you, you know? So I remember, you know, back when even like the early 2000s on the, playstation 2 before everything really got networked 
I had a whole house full of people over there just playing on this. We'd play like Tiger Woods. We'd have everybody with different characters. Everybody have their faces all set up. And, you know, and it was just a whole different type of thing when you have those people with you. You guys, oh, well, we're out of beer. Go, beer run, you know, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, definitely it has changed. Um, like my son, he'll sit in his room for hours, hours. I'm like knocking on his door trying to check on Are you okay in there? Oh, yeah, I'm just playing mad. And I'm like, this is like the tenth hour, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just little dig here as we kind of come to the conclusion of this uh, segment. Um, Leland did mention in the banter segment that he's got a second controller, but he doesn't need it. So I guess that won't be going over to his place anytime soon. No, stay the fuck yeah. away. Both these controllers are for me. I wield one in each hand as I play God of War. Well, you're going to break one in a rage playing God uh, of War. Yeah, that's like probably. Week, well, so. once I move on to Elden Ring, for sure I'll need to back up. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that that's all the questions I have for this segment. Uh, Leland, do you have anything else? No, I think that was I think that was great. Uh, let's move on to movie musings. Awesome. Well, it's time for the movie musing segment. Our second second segment today. Um, I basically called it when schedules mattered, but I really want to go back, uh, kind of deep dive. We've got obviously retro gamer Gen X with us into the 1980s, 1990s TV viewing experience. You know whether that's Diving into shows that were just scheduled at a specific time, Saturday morning cartoons where you actually had to be up early on a Saturday morning to see the tunes. Um, nowadays with streaming services and stuff like that, that's that's not you know really common unless I guess you have cable. But yeah, I just wanted to to kind of deep dive just into our our memories on that. Let's let's start with you, uh, RGX. Um, maybe start in the late 70s or into the 80s just what were your favorite shows what were some good memories of your tv viewing experience wonder twin powers activate yeah <laughs> super friends yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh super goodness friends. smurfs spider-man he-man uh saturday morning cartoons guys god those those were the days um boy i remember those i mean i watched them from since i was a toddler all the way up until maybe the mid 80s you know that type of thing and then uh, by then, it was get up and do a paper route, that type of thing. But, you know. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I loved them. I don't know which one was probably my favorite. I can't even think. All of them were just completely amazing. But Thundar the Barbarian, um, that was probably one of my favorites. I was a Smurfs guy, so I like Smurfs. <laughs> I had a whole collection of Smurfs <laughs> when I was awesome. a kid. So. Um, but yeah, definitely great memories from that time. What about you guys? Yeah, Leland, why don't you go through, uh, your, your memories, your favorite shows? I bug you about Darkwing Duck all the time, but did you actually watch that? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause again, it's, it's just kind of boils down to Saturday morning cartoons. Um, again, for me, it was like a lot late nineties. So like Fox kids was huge. It like had all the shows that I love, like all of the, the animated superheroes, Batman, Spider-Man from the 90s, uh, X-Men from the 90s as well. Things like, uh, I mean, obviously Power Rangers, like Bobby's World, like weird-ass shows like that. There's animated Beetlejuice, uh, the Big Bad Beetleborgs or whatever the hell, like the Power Ranger knockoff. Big Bad Beetleborgs. Yes, exactly. Um, or like VR Rangers or whatever the hell it was called, like Wii. 
we are VR. Like whatever the fuck. Yeah. So all this knockoff shit. It's just so good. Um, But I also, what I really actually remember is watching like after school, uh, Xena, Warrior Princess, and The Adventures of Hercules. Uh, those those were great shows. Uh, even uh, as a youngin', I really enjoyed those shows. Yeah. Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, obviously. Like, comedies, like, uh, I mean, I watched a ton of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like, that was just, that was, had to have been syndicated, like, from the get-go. Because that was, you couldn't turn on a TV and not find it playing <laughs> right like i don't even uh so many so many good stuff uh but the scheduling thing that we bring up is is funny because actually one of my best uh memories growing up uh of my dad is every you know on the weekends that he would have us every friday night we would like grab dinner and we would sit down and we would watch buffy the vampire slayer uh, my brother and i and him we, we would watch buffy the vampire slayer those are those are some really good memories of 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 my dad from my childhood. So I also, I mean, I think that's also why that, that show means a lot to me, uh, even now. Right. So it's just kind of that stuff that we, you, this, the, the making, watching it like an event, uh, is kind of gone now. You know what I mean? Like, even though, like, even when game of Thrones was, was first airing, right. Like it was still an event. Like I think that's, that's a, that was a, a major pop culture thing that, you you watched it every Sunday, the, when it was airing. Everyone like millions of people were watching it. You knew they were watching it at the same time that you were watching it, and uh, like we just we don't get that anymore, right? Yeah, you know the scheduling I think led to some good memories, some good traditions. So in my family growing up, I've already you know discussed the kind of uh, conservative nature. So there's a lot of cartoons I wasn't allowed to watch. I wasn't allowed to watch GI Joes. I wasn't allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or X-Men. My mom would be like, oh, it's weird. Oh, they're, they're mutants. And when I'd <laughs> ask her like a few years ago, I'd be like, okay, so just like for retrospective sake, what was wrong with these mutant turtles? And I remember my mom was just like a blank stare. She's like, I don't know. It was just weird. So I'm like, well, there goes a potentially critical part of my growing up as a 90s boy. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Some good memories. So we didn't have cable. We had this antenna that was outside and you would have to adjust it for like the four channels we wanted because I lived on a hobby farm. And so someone would have to yell through the window like a little to the left, a little to the right for the channel we wanted. So we really only had one channel that did Saturday morning cartoons. What I most remember, and I've got a link for Leland to put in the show notes for this episode, is I remember the public safety announcements. Um, we had these, I think they may have only been in Canada, but it was Bert and Gert. They were like a brother and sister pair yes. of bunnies. Oh that, my God, yes. That taught kids. <laughs> so Leland, the show notes I have for you is a seven minute video that is a compilation of all of their PSAs. Oh, wow. And I watched them in preparation for the show and they are so hilarious. There's like a boy that throws his ball down the street and some like, really nerdy guy drives up in a car he's like excuse me son i'm trying to get to 2230 smith street he's like go down you know two blocks into the right can you show me where it is can you get in my seat lad it's just like it's like so over the top you're like what adults actually made this (laughs) the other one actually sent leland a screenshot they did another one where it was uh 
same little little kid and it was a stranger danger thing but it was like they animated the super hot blonde woman who comes and knocks on the door and she's like hi sir my car's broken down can i use your phone why i watched that like as a 37 year old man i'm like get in here i'll whip you up a martini girl stay all evening you know mechanic isn't going to be ready until monday i'm like <laughs> i'm like what why would you use an incredibly attractive blonde woman as someone that's going to somehow take advantage of this boy? Like, creeps are not like that. I, I just found that hilarious. And I know there's the G.I. Joe PSAs out there, too. I should have looked them up, but... Oh, yeah. Knowing's half the battle. That's the ones I remember the best. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing is half the battle. Is that like anti-drug? Is that what they were? Yeah, they would always be like, they would go with the PSA, whatever it was, stranger danger, don't get in people's cars. And right at the end, Duke or somebody would be, and knowing is half the battle. (laughs) It's so weird because like as a kid, even before my parents taught me, I don't know if I would have ever just like jumped in a car with a stranger. I just would have been naturally creeped out as a kid. I'm like, I don't know you. Even one time my uncle tried to pick me up from school and I refused to go. Really? Did you, was you, did you have uh, like the family password, like the secret phrase that uh, if someone ever says, oh, your parents sent me, you ask them for the phrase? We, we actually came up with that phrase after that event. So my uncle oh. was legitimately sent to pick us up, but we didn't know. We had no warning. My school hadn't been called and I just refused to go with him. And like, my school and my parents ended up actually saying, well, you did the right thing. We should have given you a heads up or phoned the school or something. And that's when we came up with the family password. But yeah, I mean, I was too, too creeped out even to do that. Mind you. So I was pretty young. Like there was a kid who was abducted and he still wasn't found to this day up here in Canada on Vic on uh, Vancouver Island. His name was Michael Dunahy. That situation just like completely freaked my parents out for like a year and I remember they like got a milk box with his picture on it. Cause you used to have the milk boxes saying like missing kid. And they'd be like, unless you do the buddy system with your brother, this could be you. This will be you, Matthew. And I'm like, okay, well, all right. So <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty, pretty extreme. So we had the buddy system. What was, uh, what was your family password? Do you remember it? You know what it was? Yeah. I think it was. It, well, I remember it was one of two. It was either Mandy or Sultan, which were our two dogs at the time. Oh, okay. I forget if it was Mandy or if it was Sultan, though. I think it might have been Mandy because Sultan, I think, might have be, been our first internet password. So <laughs> that's why I kind of... I'm pretty sure mine was, uh, mine was just pizza. 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 <laughs> I don't know why. It was just like, I guess you could remember it as a kid. Like, if, But if a pizza, if, if a predator poses a pizza delivery guy came, I like, we would have been fucked. We have been abducted and missing for, you know, 30 years now. <laughs> I'm thinking right now some guy coming up, uh, but hey, Sonny, I can get you a pizza. And you're like, oh, okay, sir. Must be safe. <laughs> the brown Chevy van over there with the curtain windows, I'll hop right in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. Boy. That's, that's funny. Good memories. But I think one of my best memories, though, was Sunday, Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain would be on. So not Saturday, but Sunday. And my parents both loved Pinky and the Brain. It was like, you could not watch anything else. 
it was like before going to church, we had to watch Pinky and the Brain. And I mean, it's okay. I love it now. But the thing is, the whole point of Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain is it's adult humor in kid form. Like, I hated Animaniacs as a kid just because it was so boring. I didn't understand anything that was going on because I didn't get any of the pop culture references. Now, as an adult, Leland knows I love it to death. Him and I constantly talk about Chicken Boo. Chicken and Boo, yeah. <laughs> all the other the, the other jokes. But, uh, yeah, Pinky and the Brain, phenomenal. And my mom, Sundays, she would often make her cinnamon buns. Still the best dessert or breakfast I've ever had to this day. She still makes them sometimes. And it's just a great memory. Absolutely. That's like Transformers with me. Transformers and G.I. Joe after school. That was like my two mainstay cartoons. Saturday morning cartoons, yeah, sort of. But man, 2.30 after I got off of school. Especially if you had detention. Oh, I was so pissed if I had detention because I'd miss Transformers and G.I. Joe. <laughs> oh, no. Those two. And then when Transformers the movie came out and... You know how Optimus died? Oh my god, that was just so crazy to us kids. I remember the whole movie theater. I remember hearing kids crying. I almost was crying. I was like, holy cow, Optimus just died. It's like, really? Did that just happen? <laughs> you know, It was oh, just yeah. crazy for, you know, the, as young as we are to see that. Because we've never seen anything like that. And I remember uh, like listening to interviews about that movie um people that made it and they were talking about well should we have done that or should we not have and honestly i think it was a good not only for marketing to bring in the new toys but for a generation growing up that idolizes people it kind of brought us to reality okay your idols can die you know <laughs> this is what can really happen in real life you know kind of brought us to that whole new perspective of things and then Who's going to take over leadership? Who's going to be, you know, so it's it, it kind of like what's going on in the world today, you know, <laughs> honestly, to tell you the truth, um, it, it's, it's kind of brought us into reality, you know, so kind of, I don't know. No, that's that's an interesting perspective. So Transformers was my favorite uh, show growing up as well um, as a young kid because we didn't have cable. We would rent Transformers. Um, on VHS and was perfectly fine. My mom, she didn't care if robots beat the shit out of each other, just couldn't be humans. So we, we watched all that stuff in the movie and and I was similar to you. I think I did cry, like just teared up when Optimus died, but it's an interesting point you bring up. And I agree. It's a lesson that most kids weren't taught that, you know, heroes can die can get hurt and you need to learn that for your own life maybe it was your dad that's your hero or or some person you knew and got sick and had cancer or something like it it prepared kids a little bit for that and i hope a lot of parents took that as an opportunity and had the wisdom to have a talk with their kids now of course a couple seasons later you know they bring uh they bring optimus prime back into the show but at the time, I think that was that was really interesting. Yeah, because there still has never been, I think, a, an animated show for kids of that age group that was that brutal. Because remember, it wasn't just Optimus. I mean, he's the one everybody cared about, and that was a very sad scene. But they had to wipe out the entire Generation 1 storyline. And there's there was this one point, I call it the gauntlet scene, where the Decepticons get on the Autobots giant transport spaceship 
and the Autobots just, like, try to rush them, and the Decepticons just, like, gun them down. Like, all your favorite secondary Transformers just die, like, eight of them. And I, I just remember as a kid, too, being like, uh, but, uh, yep. <laughs> there they go. <laughs> so even, uh, even Starscream, how he died, Starscream was always one of my favorite. He takes, he takes charge. They've got all the robots blasting, like, Imperial trumpets. I guess they breathe air or something. And then Megatron comes back. I guess he's Galvatron or something. And he comes back for his throne and he just turns into a, like a laser cannon on a tripod and just like, I, I think he just like vaporizes Starscream. It's pretty awesome. Yep. Just took him out. Just <laughs> cloud of dust. <laughs> cloud of dust. Yeah. Yeah. Good memories. Yeah. It's, it's interesting talking to you, you know, Leland with his dad and Leland's a little bit younger than me. So when he's talking about late nineties, I'd, by then mostly moved on to to all uh live action myself for the most part one i did want to touch on because leland's into horror are you afraid of the dark that was my first horror as a kid that was probably one of the first shows that gave me nightmares as as a child and again that was something like i would watch like at dad's place like we would be up late uh because it seemed like it was on relatively late for it being like a, you know, quote unquote kids show. But fuck, man, some of those shows were freaky as hell. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. So many fucking nightmares from that show. Well, isn't there one with Hayden Christensen where he gets turned into like a ventriloquist dummy and he spins his head like 360 degrees? The other one that always uh, fucked me up was the one like with the with the ghosts in the pool. When the kid can't swim and like oh. just the effects of the monster when I think they like pour like chlorine on it or something. And like, it's all just gooey and melty. Like some of the practical effects in that show were just nuts to be witnessing as a small child. <laughs> I remember there was one episode that really freaked me out because I think it involved like a ghost of a girl from the 1970s. And she blew herself up in the chemistry lab at school with like one of those taps where like some sort of gas comes out of it and you can do experiments. And our school had just installed those taps (laughs) into our science room. And I remember I was like afraid as a kid. I'm like, are there going to be ghosts? Am I going to blow myself up and become a ghost? I don't want to wear bell bottoms. (laughs) 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 I was like... It was like it. It just it was it was scary stuff for a kid. Yeah, yeah. I remember tales tales from the crypt was oh, what yeah. I used to watch. I think it was on HBO, and that's when I was still a little bit young, and my parents were kind of well. You shouldn't be watching this, and I remember watching a few episodes of yeah, nightmares. <laughs> that that show. Right? It was a great show though, and then. Um, I think after that was what Freddy's Nightmares or whatever that came Ooh, out for a little yeah. while. Yeah, um, Freddy Krueger. I think that was like when I was in high school, but that was a pretty good show too. Yeah, I think for the most part, other than that, that's about all that I really remember as far as horror shows. Now, for of course, horror movies—that's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, one thing I did want to ask about, and this is actually kind of my last question for the segment. 
VHS recording of shows. Did either of you do a lot of that in the 80s or 90s? I certainly did. Um, one of my good memories was my dad would actually stay up and tape me, uh, whether it was like the 1980s Star Trek movies. It was all Star Trek. Like this was when I was a preteen to teen that we did the recording or Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek DS9. And I was kind of bonding with my dad. Like he was kind of my hero that I had to go to bed and all of these shows would play 10 p.m., 11 p.m. And he wasn't the biggest Star Trek fan. There were a few he liked, but he would, you know, dutifully tape them for me. And I'd watch him the next day and he'd even give me a little bit of commentary saying, you know, hey, there was this one, you know, Star starship captain that you know really had a stick up his butt i didn't like him so you know you watch out for him so i remember little things like that but yeah um leland maybe let's start with you did you do any vhs recording of shows no no nothing like that i don't i don't recall doing anything like i know just growing up like my stepdad had a huge vhs like movie collection but we yeah i don't think we we never taped anything as we were watching it um I don't know if my parents might have for some shows. I don't really, re- but I just don't. Yeah, it wasn't the thing that we were you doing. You didn't do yeah, it. Yeah, no. It wasn't for you. I guess. I guess not. How about you, RGX? Did you do any uh, taping? Ah, uh, yeah. I did a lot of taping back in the day. Transformer, G.I. Joe. You know those detention days that I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I always set up, just in case I got in trouble at school, I always set up a recording so they would, you know, be recorded for me. That's smart. But honestly, I didn't do much recording until probably maybe the late 90s and early 2000s, right before like TiVo and all that started coming out. Um, Because, you know, I was working, I was doing things, and I still wanted to watch like stuff on Adult Swim that I wasn't able to watch, so I'd be recording that. So a lot lot more like later on, like towards the end of the VHS generation, I guess is what you would call it. But um, as a kid, here's a funny thing, because I still do this to this day, is like my Nintendo, I would hook up to a VCR and start playing and record and do game recordings. In fact, I got tapes from that. And one of these days, if I ever find them, I will post them on YouTube because they are raw, real tapes (laughs) from the 80s. This is me playing, you know, whatever from 1988 or (laughs) whatever. But I did a oh, lot man. of gameplay videos back then, too. And then I would take them over to my friend's house and show them, look, I, I defeated, you know, Metal Gear here, you know. Because oh, they would never amazing. believe you. And then you'd show them and be like, yeah. oh, shit, you did. You know? <laughs> oh, that's so good. I think that's where the <laughs> gameplay thing kind of came from. Maybe in my channel, I, maybe that's why I'm a retro gamer now. I, you know, why right. I do this kind of stuff. You're bored Kind of funny it. how that kind of <laughs> comes to light, you know. But Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something I did. Now, my dad... He definitely used the VCR more than anybody because he used, he basically worked two jobs, so he was never at home. So he would have to catch up on all his uh, basically TV shows and sports and everything at uh, at you know like Saturday because he even worked on Sunday. So like all day Saturday, he was just in there in the living room watching you know whatever he had recorded through the week. So he was definitely a big user of it, and to this day he uses his cable box, you know the DVR. And uh, my mom don't know how to use it, but he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think two big moments where I got into it, like doing my own recording. Number one, I had always noticed, because in the late 90s was when blank tapes were everywhere. Like you went into whether it was like Walmart or a drugstore, there'd be blank tapes for sale. 
and they always had listed on it like SP two hours, SX four hours, SLP six hours. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I can flip a toggle or do this and get six hours of recording. And that took off for me. Plus when I figured out my VCR, I actually still have that same ancient VCR from the nineties. I keep it. The VC VHS doesn't work anymore, but it has so many plugins for my old gaming consoles that I keep it as like a hub. But I remember when I figured that thing out as far as like recording time and channel. Oh boy. I felt like King of the world. It's like, who needs TiVo? I've got all these tapes I can run on SLP six hour and like, I might as well tape, you know, be my own TV station. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. But, oh no, those, those are, those are awesome memories all around, all around. But, you know, that's all I've got for this segment. Does anyone else have anything to add? I mean, I, I think uh, kind of the point of this episode is just like, it's really, it's always great to reflect, you know, go over a bit of these nostalgic items that we can still keep in touch with. Um, and I think like a channel like like yours, RGX, uh, enables people to do so, but also still giving insight into the, to those that are, are, are younger and outside of those generations don't have those experiences. And if they're interested in finding out what that was like, like a channel like yours allows them to, to still somehow be a part of that and those eras. Right. And, and almost like, it's almost like living vicariously through like a channel like yours. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's, that's this type of stuff is important, important to, to remember and, and, and reflect on uh, sometimes because, you're doomed to repeat history, right? If you forget your past kind of stuff, right? So I think um, so much of what we enjoy now is is it's always important to reflect on how those things came to be because I think it allows you to appreciate some of those things a lot more uh, with a lot more depth and and, and maybe in, in different ways as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue for the end of show stuff, uh, meaning... Uh, you know, Leland, before you jump into that, let's give uh, RGX one more uh, chance there to plug yourself, your channel. Where can where can our listeners find you? Absolutely. So, guys, I am on YouTube, so check me out. I'm Retro Gamer Gen X, so you should just be able to type it into either Google or YouTube, Retro Gamer Gen X. You'll be able to find my channel there with all my videos. Also, in my channel, on my banner of my channel, you'll find my links for my Twitter and for my um, Facebook group, too, if you wanted to join. Facebook group is a great group of guys. Basically, get together. We just banter about all this retro goodness, kind of like this uh, podcast here. We talk about movies. We talk about video games. We talk about everything from the 70s up to like the early 2000s on there, and then modern stuff, too, as well. So definitely check me out, guys. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show there. Leland. And a show stuff. Okay, our website is ttpopcast.com where you will find our uh, show notes, which links to your channel uh, and socials will also be in those show notes. Uh, another easy easy place to find everything you need. The TT Popcast on Facebook, our own Facebook page that Moby, Moby runs, TT Popcast on Instagram. I'm Leland underscore Steel on Twitter, and that is who I've been. I'm Moby. I do try to keep our Facebook updated. One day I will try to write more articles for our website. I say that every single episode. <laughs> but uh, as always, we appreciate uh, you listening there, our our esteemed listener. 
Uh, so, yeah. What else can I say except take care, listener? Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.